in Revelation chapter 5, and um, it's pretty amazing stuff, but you know what? One of the things that we understand is that for sure, heaven will not be boring. For sure, heaven will not be boring. It will not be. Uh, And if you think about it, uh, what does that say about who God is and the character of God if heaven is boring? I mean, it doesn't make any kind of sense. I mean, we have within us desires for pleasure. Where did that come from? Uh, where did fun, I mean, who, who uh, invented fun? I mean, at what point in the human race was something fun? I mean, I would suggest to you that when Adam uh, was created and he had the responsibility of naming all the animals and he was in Eden, I think it was a lot of fun and a lot of pleasure. Now, of course, uh, you know, there was something lacking in Adam, and so God said it's not good that be alone, and so he created Eve. And I think when he created Eve, it was even more fun. I think that Adam's first expression when he saw Eve was probably like, hallelujah, <laughs> you know? Yay! Uh, anyway, just, you know, I mean, oh yeah, it's going to be all right, yeah. Heaven, fun, uh, who designed your taste buds? When you taste something and you go, oh, that's good. I mean, where'd that come from? What about like adrenaline? You know, like some of you guys have, think it's just incredibly fun to jump off a cliff, you know, into some waters and some, you know, and some of you even like to check and make sure there's depth there. Some of you don't. Who cares? Just jump. Okay. It's, it's, I mean, you know, what about, what about the nerve endings that, 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 that create that sense of fun or excitement or joy. Where did that come from? I mean, that sense of exhilaration when you ride a roller coaster at Magic Mountain and you go, ho, ho, and you scream and holler and, you know, throw your hands up and throw your hands in the air like you don't care. I mean, like, you know, it's fun. Where did all of that come from? That came from God. So to suggest that God did all that so we could have fun and exhilaration and joy on earth and then go to heaven and it be boring is just doesn't make sense to me at all so for sure heaven will not be boring is what we've been looking at through the scriptures secondly heaven is a real physical place it's a real place uh the eternity that's described throughout the scriptures uh is is not a realm of disembodied spirits and maybe you heard that you know when you die you just become one with the universe what does that mean I mean, you just sort of float around in nothingness forever. Oh, that's something to look forward to, right? I mean, oh boy, just float around and you bump into other nothingnesses while you're floating around. Do you recognize the other nothingnesses? And is this for all of eternity? Is there any communication? If you become one with the universe and do you happen to have any conversation with the universe? Does it speak to you or does the universe not even care about you? I mean, that isn't... that. Heaven is a real place. Jesus said this in John 14, too. In my Father's house are many rooms, mansions, dwelling places. I'm going there. Where? There. To do what? To prepare a place for you. And Jesus' mission statement is that that where I am, you may be also. That's why Jesus came. So that where he is, we may be also. It's a place. It's a uh, it's 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 got dimensions, perhaps it's uh, well, the Bible tells us that. Um, uh, but Jesus chose familiar terms 
uh, that are to give us something tangible to anticipate. I mean, if he would have said it's just a dimension, we would have said, "Okay, great. And I'm sure that's going to be a lot better than this earthly dimension. But what does that mean? He said, no, it's a dwelling place. There's a there's a place. There's a there's a place that I have for you. I mean, you will be dwelling in a mansion, a dwelling place one day in heaven. It's a physical place. Heaven is not only a dwelling place of God, but it's also also the dwelling place of angels. Ah, angels, lots of angels. And as the scripture we'll read this morning says that the number of them is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. How many angels is that? Get your calculator out and multiply it out. Let me know in the next 10 minutes. All right. Let me give it to you again. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. And then once one verse puts it this way, thousands and millions, thousands and millions. All right. Revelation chapter five, verse 11 through 14. We'll read through it once and then we'll break it up. (sighs) Verse 11 says, and I I looked and behold, uh, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Verse 14 and the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worship. All right. I want you to see this. First and foremost, there is order in heavenly worship. There is order in heavenly worship, just like there should be order in worship here on earth. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. And so the four living creatures are saying, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The 24 elders are saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. And the four living creatures and the 24 elders next fall down in worship. And then the 24 elders are singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us uh, kings and priests to our God and, and we shall reign on the earth. And then all of God's creation, everybody say all. All of God's creation joins him in worship. And finally, the four living creatures say amen <laughs> and amen and amen. And there's order in worship in heaven. There's a there's a prescription. There's a prescribed way. It's not chaotic. And, you know, this this living creature way over here going, amen. And this one, hey, will you get back over here? And, and you know, the 24 elders throwing down. No, not now. You have to wait till the fourth. You're not doing it right, you know, and, and this 24 elders way over there. No, 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 it's not like that. No, no, there's order in worship in heaven. And one day we will be a part of that order. And so on the heels of the 24 elders singing, we get verse 10 and 11. And again, it says, Thou hast made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth 
And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Okay, now the angels chime in. In chapter 4, the four living creatures lead. Then the 24 elders follow. Here the elders lead, then the, tw- then the angels follow. And so there's this cycle of worship that just seems to be kind of crescendoing and, con- and, and growing and growing. Okay, angels, angels, new age philosophy and believers in that worldview are almost fanatically excited about the concept of angels, and they brought with them a lot of unbiblical views on the purpose of angels and what they're supposed to do, and that seems to have a great appeal in our society. Would you not agree with me that angels are always something that people are fascinated with? I mean, there's angels in shops and there's, there's, there's stories every year about people seeing angels and boy, it, you know, if you could get an angel somehow on your grilled cheese sandwich, you might make some money on eBay and, 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 and California angels. And I mean, it's on and, and angels. And then you guys, angel fans, okay, that's fine. Dodgers probably. Um, um, one reason that there is this popularity in New Age culture uh, is that angels offer people a spirituality that doesn't involve commitment to God or the laws of God. See, you can, you can have an, a fascination with angels and believe that you're okay with God simply because of that. Sophie Burnham, author of A Book of Angels, believes the current philosophy of angels is because we have created this concept of God as punitive, jealous, judgmental, while angels never are. They are utterly compassionate. She's never read the Bible and what angels do in the Bible, but... Or as Time Magazine put it, for those who choke easily on God and his rules, angels are the handy compromise, all fluff and uh, meringue. Thank you. I'm thinking it's a pie, right? Lemon meringue. Kind, non-judgmental, and they are available to everyone like aspirin. Folks, you already know this, but please don't go to Newsweek for any theology. Don't go to any of those magazines or Time or anything else. And so 34 books of the Bible mention angels. That's over half the books in the Bible. There are 17 references in the Old Testament and uh, 17 books that reference them and 17 in the New. Uh, In the Old Testament, the word angel is used 103 times. In the New Testament, it's 165 times. And realistically, the word angel means messenger. Remember when we looked at the angel or the messenger to the church at Sardis or the church at Philadelphia, that it could literally have been an angel or more likely an elder that presided that was a messenger over that city. Okay, it could have been um, uh, 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 either one of those. Um, These angels are messengers whose purpose is to praise God in heaven and to do God's bidding on earth. Billy Graham calls them God's secret agents. Uh, they're doing God's will always wherever he sends them. They go. Uh, you might remember in the Bible that when the tree of life that Adam and Eve were not to eat from 
uh, uh, they were not to come near that tree or eat of the fruit of that tree. That God set an angel in front of that tree with what? With a flaming sword. Okay. Uh, that tree is off limits. Okay. There's an angel there with a flaming sword, and I'm not about to you know try to sneak around that. Okay. Uh, Adam talks to heavenly messengers, angels, and in fact invites them in for a meal, and they come and they eat with him. In the next chapter of Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah gets punished by uh, this uh, angelic realm because of their gross immorality against sin. Here's one thing about angels. Angels are created beings. Angels are not uh, 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 eternal. They they are created beings. Colossians 1.16 says, For it was in him that all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and things unseen. Okay, in who? In Christ. All things were created. Uh, Whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created and exist through him by his service or his intervention and in him and for him. Okay, secondly, angels are powerful. Second Samuel chapter 24, an angel was about to destroy the city of Jerusalem and God, if you would, stayed his hand or ended the judgment. Uh, in the Bible, one angel killed 185 soldiers, and I believe it was the Assyrian army. 185,000 soldiers, one angel. And so for this magazine article to say that they're non-judgmental and they're, okay, you've not read the Bible. Okay, they are God's messengers to do his bidding on earth. Uh, remember that angels announced the, uh, Jesus at his conception to Mary. Uh, They were there announcing his birth at his temptation. It was angels that came and ministered to him in the desert. Uh, And it's the angels who take and move the stone from the entrance of the tomb. It's angels that uh, uh, accompany him on his way to heaven in the book of Acts. Uh, Angels are invisible most of the time, most of the time, and yet there are circumstances where God allows them to manifest themselves in a physical presence. That happens. But for the most time, they are invisible. And there's good reason for that. Because when you see or you read that anyone encounters an angel in the Bible, the first emotion is fear. And you probably would too. Uh, They're... they, I mean, that's an angelic being. That's a fearful thing. Uh, and here's the other thing. It's another reason why they're, they're mostly invisible is that we as humans have a tendency to worship anything supernatural, especially supernatural beings. And yes, worshiping of angels is really easy for us to do. Uh, we have this propensity towards that. We worship supernatural things. Uh, we'll worship angels. We'll worship movements in the heavens. We'll worship stars. We'll worship planets. Uh, We'll worship dead saints. We'll worship Mary. We'll worship anything sometimes besides the only one who's worthy of worship. The only one. And we'll get to that. But that's just how we are. Even John in the book of Revelation is tempted to do that. An angel appears to him and he's driven to worship in Revelation 22. He falls down before this 
this angel, not in fear, but in worship. And, and the, the angel's like, no, none of that. None of that. I, no, no, no. Worship God. Remember that Peter was, was on lockdown and it was some angels that came and unshackled him and opened the doors and escorted him out so that he could go to the prayer meeting where they were praying for his release but didn't believe it when they told him he was at the door. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, angels look at our faith journey from a distance. And, they, and they, it's almost as if they, they're, they're envious of, of the faith that we have and the journey that we're on. Because angels don't have that. 1 Peter 1, Peter says this, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and carefully searched, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. To them it was revealed that, uh, that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Yeah, the things that the prophets were writing, they inquired and they searched, but it was about a grace that was going to come in the future, that was going to come to us. And then he says this, these things which the angels desire to look into. The angels are, are if you would, amazed by salvation. They're, they're amazed by grace poured out. Angels don't get born again. They don't experience a born again. I mean, they're in the presence of God. Okay? Angels don't repent of their sins. Uh, they don't experience God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Like an angel doesn't have to go to God and say, you know what? I really blew it the other night. Yes, please forgive. Me. No, that doesn't happen. Uh, uh, so so they, they long to look and they desire to look into to these things. Not only that, Hebrews 1 says that um, Hebrews 1.14 says, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so one of the job responsibilities that angels have is that of ministering to us. And in the Bible, we see angels even guiding people. And you might even hear some stories about people that are in an accident on a deserted road and someone shows up out of nowhere uh, to help them. I don't, I don't dispute those stories. I mean, I, I, think, I think God has the ability to send an angel in a time of need, uh, if, if need be, in some chaotic experience or some chaotic time. Uh, they're ministering spirits uh, that, that minister uh, to us. Okay, back to verse 11. The source and the subject. The source and the subject. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads, thousands and thousands. Okay, angels are innumerable. You can't count them. Now, as soon as someone reads that, they try to count them. And they say, okay, myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. There was an ancient theologian named Albertus Meg, Magnus. And he, he put, he put the, the quill to the paper and said, I got it. There's 399,924,000 angels. Okay, this guy has too much spare time on his hands. How did he get that? Who cares? And why did he spend so much time doing that? You can't count them. They're innumerable. Now, I want you also to see something that John separates saying from singing. John separates saying 
or singing from saying. Okay, verse 11 and 12. Again, I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. My Bible says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I want you to notice the angels are not singing. They're saying. Now, chapter 4, verse 8, look at what it says. It says, uh, it says, And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having one harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. See, I believe that that singing is the 24 elders that represent the church, not the living creatures. Though it might be. But it, 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 the point that I'm making is, is at Bethlehem, when the angels came, they were not singing. Look it up. They were saying. And of all the groups involved in the heavenly worship, it seems that only the redeemed, only those who are born again, are those who are singing. Look at it. The angels are saying. The 24 elders and the redeemed are singing. Now, why is that? Now, I know you think that no, those angels of Bethlehem were singing because that's, that's what the popular song says. That's not. They were saying because John separates and differentiates the two. What's the point? Angels don't experience salvation. They don't get born again. Only lost humanity does. We've been washed by the blood of Christ. We've been saved from death and hell and the grave. Here's the point, folks. You and I have something to sing about. We have something to sing about. The angels are in his presence. They say and they worship. But it's fallen humanity that sings. W.A. Griswell said this. He said, always the redeemed sing. God's blood washed sing. God's children sing, but angels do not sing. Here's my conclusion, he says. Music is made up of major and minor chords. The minor chords speak of the wretchedness, death, sorrow of this fallen creation. Most of nature moans and groans in a plaintive and minor key. Uh, the sound of the storm, the sound of the wind uh, around the house is uh, always in, mi- in a minor key. It wails. The sound of the ocean moans. It is restless. It is in its speechless travail, even the nightingales, the sweetest tone is the saddest. Most of the sounds of nature are in minor key. It reflects the wretchedness, the despair, the hurt, the agony, the travail of this fallen creation. But an angel knows nothing of this. An angel knows nothing of the wretchedness, nothing of the despair, nothing of the fall of our lost race. Interesting, huh? So when we sing, recognize that We have something to sing about. And here's another thing. We worship God because he's worthy. He's worth it. And the word has the meaning of weight or value, according to the Vines Dictionary, not because of how it makes me feel. You know, I mean, like after the worship set, you feel so, okay, that's okay. But the end goal is not to worship for the feeling. That's why there are times that we worship when we don't feel like it. And maybe even after you worship, you still don't feel like it. And your circumstances haven't changed. But just because he's worthy, you worship anyway. And see, even if you 
don't feel it, even if the music is out of key, even if you don't know the words or the song or whatever expression of worship, that, that, all of that trumps who God is and that he's worthy of it. And that's reason enough to worship and to live a lifestyle of worship. That's reason enough. Well, you know, I, was, I don't really like that song. It didn't do anything for me. It's not about doing something for you. Well, I don't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't really feel the word. It ain't about what you feel. Is the object your feelings? And we talked about this last week. Or is the object the Lord? And if it's the Lord, boy, it's a sacrifice. But that's where we enter into that sacrifice of praise. Not for what we get out of it, but because of who he is. So verse 12, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. Speaking of Jesus and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Oh, verse 13, source and the subject of the worship again. So we know what's the lamb. Verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. that again it says every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them i heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever oh all right Philippians chapter 2, you can turn there if you want. Philippians chapter 2, I have it on the screen for you. Verse 9 says this. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation chapter 5, done. This is where it happens, right here. Right here. Everything, okay? One day, we will all acknowledge the glory of God and the exalted position of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us. <laughs> Everyone. You're agnostic. You're atheistic. You're religious, but you don't have a relationship with God. And you think that religion is the way to get to God. As long as I do religious stuff, I'm good with God. As long, there are people who believe, you know what, if I'm a good person and I treat people right, that's good enough. And that's all I need. And, and, and you might be indifferent. You might be absolutely in love with Jesus right now. You might be seeking Jesus and not quite sure if you want to take that step over the edge. That might be you. Uh, you, you might already be born again. You maybe could care less about God. You might not have any room in your world for God. Wherever you are and wherever we stand with God, one day, one day, every human being that has ever lived, everything that's ever been created, 
all of life, things in heaven and on earth, angelic beings, things under the earth, those who are dead and will be resurrected, those on the sea, everything in them, I heard saying, while Jesus was on earth, he laid aside his privileges, and there was, in a sense, this this distance between God the Father and God the Son, because they lived in perfect harmony and perfect unity throughout all of eternity, and then came a point where Jesus came to earth. And then there was that time when Jesus was crucified and were three hours of darkness on the earth. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As almost as if there was some gap. We don't know what happened, but the best I can think in my own mind is that that when all the sin of the world, your sin and my sin and everything that we've ever done was placed on Jesus, there was something that happened that was darkness. There was some transaction between God the Father and God the Son. That's all I can say. And, And hey... John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they, you want to know how to get to heaven? Here's how you get to heaven right here. This is it. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, verse five, watch this. And now. Revelation chapter five. And now, O father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was right here this is it they said they didn't sing they said to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb someone said to me show me in the bible where jesus receives worship i go <laughs> revelation 5 John chapter 17, Revelation 5, right here. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be what? Honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down. And what does your Bible say? They worshiped. The exclusivity of this worship. The angel asked, who is worthy to open the scroll? Only one is worthy. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, the son of David. And the object of the worship in heaven, the object of the worship in heaven is God Almighty and the Lamb. And the Lamb. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, depend on it, my hearer. You will never go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. They are all doing it there. You will have to come to it 
And if you entertain the notion that he is a mere man or that he is anything less than God, I am afraid you will have to begin at the beginning and learn what true religion means. You have a poor foundation to rest upon. I could not trust my soul with a mere man or believe in an atonement made by a mere man. I must see God himself uh, putting his hand to so gigantic a work. I like that. You know, there are religious belief systems. One of the, what they all do, every one of them, is they make Jesus Christ something else other than God. Oh, he's an angel, a created being, Michael the archangel even. Oh, no, he's a man. Oh, no, he's just the Christ consciousness. Oh, no, he just came to be a prophet. Oh, no, he just simply shows us the way. Is Jesus Christ God? No, sir. No, he's not God. What about what it says here? Oh, that means something else. Does it mean what it says? That's interesting. If it doesn't mean what it says, how do you understand anything that the Bible says? Because you could tell me uh, uh, Jesus wept. That's not what it means. Well, yes, it does. Well, you just said you can't make anything definite out of the Bible. And if I can't read it and believe what it says, then I've got to toss it. Because that's not, if it's not what it means, well, then what does it mean? And, of course, their religious organization has the authority to tell you what it means. There it is. I don't think there's any greater scripture to show that Jesus Christ is God than as we get toward the end of the end and he is worshipped full on in heaven by this heavenly host, which, by the way, is everyone. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Verse 14, Joseph, make your way up, man. We got a song we got to sing. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. Amen. Chapters 4 and 5 have to do with worship. Um, the rest of the book, till about chapter 21, 22, has to do with warfare. And I guess, putting it very lightly, all hell's about to break loose. And praise God that in his writing in this book, he gave us a glimpse of heaven before we get a glimpse of hell on earth because it gives a perspective. So verse 6 changes dramatically. And it's been great in the throne room, hasn't it? Boy, we've been, we've been seated up in heavenly places in Christ, with Christ Jesus and we've, 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 we've tuned into the, 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 the worship of, of heaven, the sounds of, 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 of creation, the, the, the songs of the redeemed and now that's all going to change. And the rest of the book is filled with absolute hell on earth. And the, this is the worship of the Lamb. Chapter 6 is the wrath of the Lamb. And it'll shake us to our core. But you've got to keep your eyes fixed on the worship. And know that the wrath is coming. You've got to keep your eyes fixed. Uh, so what do you worship? No, really. What do I worship? Oh, wherever my heart is. Where's your heart? I don't know. I, I could tell you where my heart is. I worship God and Him alone. I try to. <laughs> I fall short sometimes. 
things of this world get in there and not such a good example of worship. But I'm going to be in that throne room. And the Holy Spirit's working. And it's a process. It's a, it's a point in time transition. And it's a process. And we have, we're forgiven. And we're not always going to get it right. And you know, God's okay with that. Because he didn't choose us because of how good we are or how bad we are. He chose us because he loves us. And he's in it for the long haul. And he's going to finish what he started. And so we worship him because of that. And we can hold on to that. Let me just say to you, if you've never embraced Jesus in your heart, what do you worship? What will you be saying on that day when we're all standing before him? What will you be saying when every creature in heaven and on earth and, and, and when you are in that multitude, what will you be saying? I'll tell you what you'll be saying. You'll be saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. You'll be saying that. You'll be saying Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll be bowing your knee and you'll be confessing that. You will be. Yeah, so let me encourage you today. Whatever sits on the throne of your heart, change it and put the Lamb of God there. Put Jesus there. And you know what, folks? How many of you already done that? Raise your hand. A lot of folks here. A lot of folks here. How many of you do it every day? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have to. We have to do it every day. We have to wake up and say, I worship you, Lord. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm confessing that now. Be the King of my life today. Be the Lord of my life today. 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 And tomorrow morning, I'll meet you again. (laughs) Joseph, if you would please, brother.